Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say whatever side you're on and the listener the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. Good morning, everyone. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Coming up, more truth bombs from Kathy Jamieson. Remember, a uh, bit of a crowd favorite, Kathy. She's been working on the adverse reporting of the jab and the batch numbers, and the dumping of unused vaccinations, and the stonewalling that's occurring from the government as she seeks quite reasonable information about what was going on uh, with the jab. Fantastic she is. Also coming up is Courtney Jane, singer, writer, Oh, my goodness, we're going to have some music and we're going to hear from one talented young woman. Remember, you can send us a text at 2057, email us at inbox at I love hearing from you, so please do. Your thoughts, your concerns, your criticisms, your ideas. We love the community. We love our listeners. Thank you so much. Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. The greatest threat to our democracy and our country is the belief that someone else will save it. RCR is on a mission to revive honest media, and now you too can help make that happen. Introducing the Foundation Members Club, the easiest way to support RCR and be rewarded for doing so. Receive exclusive benefits only for members, including your very own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions. And also, our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, delivered to your email inbox every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. 
To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members and see how you too can join the mission that's making a difference. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I, I'm a bit like a parent. You're not supposed to have favourites amongst your guests, but even as a parent, you can't help it. There is sort of favourites, and it might vary sometimes, but we've got a favourite coming up. We've got, and a crowd favourite, Kathy Jameson emails me late at night like she does. Oh, I've got something to say. And I just grab her because we love Kathy Jameson. Kathy Jameson, good morning. Good morning. You don't have to do much to get on my show, do you? <laughs> no, you don't play hard to get. No. I'm a pushover when it comes to you. You just say, oh, I've got something to say, and I put you on 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, we to start. Um, I've, I've had quite a lot of sort of back and forth um, Official Information Act uh, requests and responses. Maybe I should give a bit of a background. Yeah, sure. So Kathy Jameson is actually consulted from around the world by people because she's focused on the vaccine and in particular the swapping of batches and composition and data. This is her thing. And she's extraordinary at it. And she's extraordinary at ferreting out information from here and overseas. And you may recall one of the astonishing things that Kathy did well, she discovered that there were three and a half thousand New Zealanders who had recorded adverse events here in New Zealand, but had been picked up by Pfizer and published on their web page, I guess, or published by Pfizer in the United States, which had more information. And Kathy was able to correlate two sets of data and draw an alarming picture. So here we are back with Kathy, who's vaccine adverse event lady, very good with data, extremely good at fishing out information. Oh my goodness, I'm sure the Ministry of Health technocrats have a bad day when an OIA comes in from Kathy Jameson. Well, here we go, <laughs> Kathy, tell us about it. It sort of feels like a little bit like I've become a serial pest for them. But, I mean, I don't mean to be. I asked some what I thought was fairly reasonable questions. And the reason that it's sort of become this complex back and forth interchange is that they just weren't answered. Um, so there's... Uh, there's a couple of things. I mean, I don't. I actually don't. People think I work with batch numbers, but I, I actually don't. Um, it's primarily adverse event data, and and there's not a lot of matching up in New Zealand between the adverse event data and the batch numbers. A little, the odd one, depending on whether the reporter reported it, but there's not a lot of information there. But my my interest in the batch numbers came about because I noticed that there was this uh, regulatory change on on the MedSafe website, and it looked like there was sort of another product being regulated, another type of adult COVID vaccine being regulated for. 
So I asked the question, has there been a composition change? And if there has, can you please give me the batch numbers by product composition category? Well, Straightforward, I, right? Straightforward. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I asked that, uh, I can't remember now, but it was before, it was long before I was with you last and we haven't spoken for a couple of months and I'm still waiting for an answer on that. So the last the last piece of correspondence I had, um, I mean, Chris James said uh, that they weren't going to give me any batch um, composition information, and I said, "Well, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to know what's in it. I just want to know has it changed, and if so, sort them." the batch numbers into the categories of the different types. So, and I had some supporting arguments from the ombudsman to sort of go back to him with. So he then passed it on to the Ministry of Health, who had their 20 days. And then after the 20 days, they wrote to me and they said they needed a further 20 days um, because the consultations and volume of information were such that a proper response couldn't reasonably be made in the time limit. So that was the end of October. So I'm still sort of waiting till the end of November to get that answer. But what was interesting was in the Herald on Monday, there was an article um, and it was around the, the, the millions of vaccine doses that have been wasted because there's been OIA action by other people and they've established that we have purchased 18 million doses, but 6 million doses have expired and been disposed of. So that's one in three. Yeah. Um, well, it's you know, that's, that's a serious issue. I mean, I, I prefer they were disposed of than go into arms. <laughs> of course. Uh, however, um, the fact, that as a depending, you know, regardless of what you think of COVID vaccines, the fact that we we purchased 18 million and only there was only demand, you know, even with the coercion that came with vaccine passes and workplace mandates, there was only demand for 12 million. And I mean, who couldn't have foreseen that? We've got five million people in the country. Our initial uh, our initial uh, provisional consent was only for those over 16 and we had advanced purchase agreements for 18 million. Uh, the numbers don't add up and, and there was no talk of boosters and so it was only a, a, a two-dose primary course. So why they ever did advance purchase agreements for 18 million? So these these deliveries kept relentlessly happening because we had agreed to purchase them regardless of whether people were turning up to have doses or not. But anyway, that's beside the point. But it is extraordinary, isn't it, that um, you'd mis miscalculate. You know how many people are in the category to get the jab that you would miscalculate and they had a good uptake 
right, given the relentless propaganda and the mandates, mm. that they still got it wrong by 30%. I mean, they're a third out, right? So where were these extra six million? Who, who's, who and what was, I mean, a, a good question would be, how many did they expect everyone to be taking when they made this order? Not two, right? Well, the numbers say not. 18 million, and they dumped 6 million. And, I mean, we, I think people are sort of um, saying, like the chatter is that they were $35 a dose, but we don't know that for sure. But then you've got to add on to that the cost of disposal because, you know, they're not just pouring this thing down down the toilet no no um so there's some fairly significant cost of disposal per dose one would imagine and there's the cost of we we had to bring it here the logistic cost of bringing it here and then distributing it distributing it around the country and you know the the pro rata the cost of having the vaccine centres open and the and the vaccinators there when there was no demand, falling demand. And then they, presumably what they had distributed that didn't get used, had to be taken back to some sort of central point for disposal. So, you know, that's a lot of money per dose multiplied by 6 million. Mm. And none of these questions get asked except by you. And a few others, oh, but you know, like yeah. the journalists, the journalists, you read the story and these questions are just jumping out at you. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so in this, in this story published, what are we now? Thursday, this Monday, um, it, so about these millions of doses, there was a, a table in there that sort of, I haven't even looked at the table and what's in the table because the bit that sort of stuck out to me was this footnote at the bottom and the source is Te Whatawara and it says adult Pfizer original and originalism, you know, quotes, was the formulation used from 2021 onwards replaced in 2023 with the bivalent, which, you know, we already knew, and monovalent vaccines. So there's a partial answer to my question that I have been trying to get for months because I have been trying to ask, you know, other than the bivalent, has the adult uh, vaccine changed, composition changed? Well, yes, it has, according to this Herald article, because we no longer have the original. We have this monovalent vaccine. And is that is that the first acknowledgement of that publicly, that there was a monovalent vaccine? Well, there is some batch number OIAs when people have asked what is the, um, you know, give me a list of all the batch numbers that's come into the country. There is one that I've seen that has, you know, here's the doses of, here's the batch numbers for bivalent. Then there's a couple of lines that says, this is the Comrenati 30 microgram 
monovalent, and then all of these lines for Pfizer originals. So they're differentiating a couple of batches somehow. So I've seen that, and I've seen this Herald article, and those are the only things I've seen. So what we know from this article is that we started off with, in quotes, an original formulation, and then it was replaced with two formulations. Am I reading this correctly? One called a bivalent variation and the other called the monovalent variation. Yeah. So so the original was a monovalent because monovalent means like one, one, one variant. Yes. So the original vaccine had um, the code to sort of provide an immune response to the original wild-type um, virus that started circulating in 20, late 19, early 2020. So that was a monovalent. It was just the original monovalent. But now we have another monovalent. Now, so the reason, so people say, well, what do we need a mono, you know, monovalent for? We've got the bivalent. So I, I don't know what they're doing in practice, but when you look at the regulatory material, when the bivalent was approved, given provisional approval, it was only provisionally approved for boosters and for those 16 and over. So if you were 12, 13, 14 or 15 and you wanted to have a booster or you wanted to have your primary course, you couldn't have the bivalent unless you had it off-label. So I'm guessing that the product is for those between 12 and, and 15 and also for people that have suddenly decide for whatever inexplicable reason, now they suddenly want to have a Pfizer vaccine when they've never had one before. So why, what do you think is going on? I mean, what do you, what, what's, is there something nefarious? Am I missing something? Because, I mean, they could just go monovalent. Oh, here's another monovalent. Here's a bivalent. Why is this significant? Well, because I'm not getting my questions answered, I can only sort of add bits together and surmise. And my best guess at the minute is that because we regulated for this product with the different buffer, do you remember yeah. we talked about yeah. buffers? Yeah. So which is the solution that the active ingredients are in in the vial. So in at the end of 2021, they introduced the possibility of us having in New Zealand the this Tris buffer product. Um, and I had sort of assumed that because it was introduced and legislated for in at the end of 2021, that we sort of had it in 2022 in circulation. But possibly we never did. Possibly this is what this monovalent is that's not the original. It may be the Tris buffer product, but it might be something else. I don't, I don't know. And the tricky thing for them is 
they have to be, they, these formulations are changing, but at any particular time, what they've agreed to and regulated for, that is to say it's gone through some regulatory approval process, it mightn't be a very high hurdle, but it's gone through this process and been ticked off. When they come out with a new formulation, they've got to either put it through that hoop again or make sure that the original hoop covers this new product. And that's, again, a significant point, is it? That it is actually allowed to be used in New Zealand because it's been regulated for. Well, when the when they... When this new buffer was introduced, it was done by um, there's what's called a MedSafe product detail. So there was a completely new one done for the TRIS buffer. Mm-hmm. And and then when a medicine is given provisional approval, there, there is a, a, a MedSafe data sheet. So they didn't amend when the TRIS buffer came in, there was a new data sheet. So it was a as a whole new set of documentation. It wasn't yes. kind of a, that. So when when they with the original product, when they initially it was only for primary courses. So you got two doses. So when they decided it could be used for a booster, they amended the original data sheet. When they changed it so that um, it was available for twelve and over, they amended the original data sheet but when the tris buffer was introduced because it's a different product there was a whole new set of documentation okay does that answer your question because i wasn't completely sure of the question what i'm striving towards here kathy is to understand the concern my concern yeah, well, the what we should be concerned about. So they've been changing the formulation. Each time they've changed the formulation, they've put it through the regulatory provisional process and come out with a new data set. They've, in the Herald, they've told the Herald, oh, yes, we had the original, then we had a bivalent and monovalent. So we know that there are three types, Right that were running. I'm saying, as I understand it, there was a data sheet for each one and an approval for each one, provisional. There's an interesting issue about 12-year-olds because the regulation for some of these didn't go down to, what, 12, 13-year-olds. Why should I be concerned? What are we driving towards? Well, um, a couple of things, I guess. And, I mean, the big question is, why did it change? Like, you, so we, we've sort of, when people say, oh, I don't want to have this vaccine because it's still in clinical trials or it's still an experiment, they're told, oh, it's not. You know, it's being given to millions of people worldwide and you know that's that's the answer that's given by a lot of officials and i always think well that's not the reassurance that you are obviously intending it to be because it is still uh in it, in clinical trials and we're just marketing it in parallel with the trial 
And actually the trial has, results of the trial have become less relevant because of this um, and that sort of, we now know that there was a process one for manufacturing in for this vaccines that were in the trial and a different process, manufacturing process used in when they went to market with it. But let's just park that. So so the issue sort of is if they're changing it, then the why trials. are they changing it? Yeah. And, and, and it sort of, you know, it makes it look more like a trial and an experiment. I and, get it. I get it. I get, if they, it. I get if they, it. If they are changing it, just tell us why it was changed and be open and be transparent. The the secrecy is suspicious and it makes people feel uneasy. Because here are the reasons you, you could change it. One reason could be, hey, we've improved the process for manufacture or hey if we do it this way we get a better vaccine or the virus is mutating therefore we change the formulation Hmm. or hell we were getting all these adverse effects (laughs) i wonder if we change it we'll get a better result it's a good summation much better all of those all those are possibilities yeah and all those are vital to know i get it now because what you're saying is there has to be a reason why you changed the formulation and we should be able to find out given that you were jabbing everyone in the arm with it mm. and requiring them to be jabbed in the arm also your promise that don't worry, it's been used millions of times over around the world. You say, no, that was the first <laughs> dose. Now you're getting a different dose. You're exp- that, is, that is the definition of an experiment. Mm. You're, changing, you're changing the formulation on us. I get it now. That is actually extremely scary. And just going back to this process one, process two, you've you've heard about that? I have, but yeah. maybe explain it for listeners because this I, too is shocking. I, I don't, well, we can maybe do it together because I don't know a lot about it because I sort of sit down in the New Zealand specific detail. But in, at a high level, which is all I sort of understand, is that there were there was a manufacturing process for the doses that were used in the clinical trial and the clinical trial sort of got to its phase three and they applied for emergency use authorization to actually use it on the public worldwide and were given that emergency use authorization and as a consequence, you know, that gave our authorities, I guess, some confidence that they could provisionally approve it and bring it into New Zealand. So when they when they started scaling up production for actually marketing this thing, selling it to give to people outside of the clinical trial, a different manufacturing process was used. And that's only become known in recent months. Yes. And that's sort of tied up with this... DNA contamination and 
grown in E. coli, stuff that I sort of don't know an awful lot about. So you may be able to add to no, that. Well, uh, yeah, I, well, that, I know it like you know it, that there was a process one tested for that. Oh, it looks okay. Funny enough, when you go back and experts look at the clinical trials, they say, hang on, this looks scary. Hmm. So even those clinical trials, yeah, people tell me that are experts are saying, actually, if you did this clinical trial, you wouldn't approve it. Yeah, well, this, this non-expert that you're talking to now thinks that that, you could see that right from the get-go yeah. in 2020 and the material they submitted to the FDA. Like you'll remember that there were those 3,000 people that showed COVID symptoms yes. that weren't tested for COVID, so they kept yes. them out of their um, efficacy calculations. Yeah. And then the jab that people were getting in their arm was made by a different manufacturing process so the clinical trial then is undermined because mm. the pro the process changed and therefore you can suspect that the product may have changed. And now they're discovering, and again, I'm relying on experts telling me there's these contaminations and you're thinking, oh my God. And then they start saying, oh yeah, there's DNA in there. Oh my God, who knows what's going on now? We, we are totally confused. And here you are in New Zealand. They've changed the formulation in a significant way because I think you said the word base, the base, is it? What is it that the substrate, the, the buffer? The buffer. So, this is the buffer that allows it to travel through your bloodstream to enter the cells. Is that correct? Or just the solution that it's being carried in? Yeah. Pass. I mean, it's Pass. just the solution that it's that so, it in. So they're changing the buffer and don't tell anyone. Well, they, they've done all the – they've dotted all their regulatory I's and crossed all their regulatory T's, but the, the problem that I've got is it was done so quietly – when you know somebody held their tongue the wrong way and it was communicated for it at one point. So we had all these communications and every day we were told these people have got, you know, COVID or died of COVID and they're this ethnicity and they're this age and they're this gender and um, stuff that actually to the average person was not very relevant. Mm. And but we were getting fed all this sort of minutiae to sort of clog up the communication airways. Meanwhile, all of this, which is fairly significant, was just quietly being done in the background. And you want to know which, just so I get this right, which batch numbers, so if you have a batch number, that is an amount of vaccines, doses, that were made at the one time. Yeah. And they have a number, like when you're in manufacturing, mm. um, we, 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 we made the Tesla at this plant in this year, and that's that batch. And then we did some changes, and here's the next batch. And um, you might be bottling milk, and you have a batch number, right? So they're making these complicated uh, manufacturing process at huge scale, making literally um, 
hundreds of millions of vaccines doses and they all have a batch number on where they were made and what day they were made and all the detail about that as you'd expect in any manufacturing process and you've asked the ministry oh i see there are different formulations of the vaccine could you tell me which formulation had which batch numbers right which should be a two-minute job yeah and you've been weeks and weeks and weeks and they're unable to answer that mm. and if they can't readily put their fingers on that data you have to worry about their process of follow-up checking whatever because they should be knowing this because what's the point of a batch number if you don't actually have a record of it that's right if they do readily have it to hand so they don't have it readily to hand it's terrifying because there's no, there's no quality control or assessment if they do readily have it to hand it should be immediately available because it's no big deal right yeah. the original one with these batch numbers the subsequent monovalent with these batch numbers and the subsequent bivalent with these batch numbers end of story well when i at one point even though i don't do a lot of work with batch numbers at one point in in sort of frustration i thought well i'm going to do a search and and gather together all of the oias i can find that have batch numbers in them because lots of people have asked you know tell me about the batch numbers that have come into the country so one of them identifies these two batch numbers fy4526 and hc8237 that are called what do they call them mono mono covid adult pfizer 30 microgram monovalent and then all of the others, apart from the bivalent, are called COVID Adult Pfizer Original. So I figured that part out for myself. That they do have these different formulations. They yeah. do have them correlated with batch numbers, but they won't give you the totality of it. No, because I've asked sort of additional questions. I've asked, you know, at what date did they first arrive in the country? And what date were they first distributed for administration? Mm. None of that's hard. Right? No. So why, why would they be worried? Let's get into the surmising. Why would they be worried to give that to you? Well, one reason I can think of is that people might be cross to know that they weren't getting the same as their neighbour who went to another vaccination mm. centre um, because they all thought they were getting the same thing. And um, also because it makes it look more like an experiment and they've been trying to tell us that it's not wouldn't it be 
alarming if the doses that were dumped were the originals. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Because you're assuming in a reading of a quick reading of that Herald article that <clears throat> we bought 18 million and got 6 million too many. Did you say 18? You did, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, good. Is that the right number? I'm, a bit, I'm a bit deaf today. I was hoping you didn't okay. say 18 because that wouldn't be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 18 million and we dumped six. It could be, oh, I'm having a terrible thought here, Kathy. You do this to me. That's why I love you so much. It could be, oh my God, that they bought 12 million. Oh, we got just the right amount. Then a new dose came out, so they bought six million of that new dose and dumped six million of the original. Yeah, but the bit that's I'm finding a bit unusual at the minute is that the Tris buffer was was legislated for at the end of 2021. Now, this Herald article is telling me that they have only been used in New Zealand in 2023. So why the long time frame? We, we were just trying to use up all of our old stock first, you know, so this is the these are all the reasons for my questions. I want to understand what's happened. Yes. As does, you know, anybody else who's kind of given this some thought. Yes. And of course, if you get the batch numbers, a question would be which ones were the ones dumped? Because mm. they're not all the same. Well, all OAAs that come back certainly raise more questions than they answer in my experience. So, um, you know. The difficulty too is that we have a little trust issue, don't we? Because in the normal course of events, when you're dealing with officials and experts and all the rest of it, you sort of assume they're doing their best and that cock-ups happen and paperwork gets lost. And, you know, they're human, right? And they're human in these vast organisations and people are coming and going. But all around this COVID, we have developed a deep sense of unease that you're being fed a story to get you to do something that you otherwise wouldn't do. So mm. this constant safe and effective, the Herald running a campaign, we've got this target, a vaxathon, and all the rest of it. And everything then is couched to get you to this particular behavior, i.e. take the jab. And that taking the jab came what's important 
and anything that might get in the way of taking the jab, like, oh, by the way, this is a slightly different formulation, not to worry, you know, it's all good. They don't want to explain that because it would get in the way of what they're trying to get you to do. And then you suddenly think, these aren't officials serving me. These are officials manipulating and using me. And I develop a trust issue. And so now what happens? When you tell me, Oh, I just read that article, Six Million Wasted, Silly Fools, Ordered Too Much. Then I find out that there were different vaccines, right? And then they're not telling you the batch numbers. And then I just go into hyperdrive because I'm now scared for what they've done, isn't it? Because I don't trust them. Mm. Mm. Am I correct? Well, it's it certainly doesn't inspire trust. This, this, you know, we 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 market ourselves in New Zealand as a as a trustworthy society and a transparent and open society. Mm. Oh, so that's not what we're seeing at the moment around this issue. Absolutely not. Quite the reverse. Well, I'm going to take it upon myself to write to, I'm going to drop them an email. Oh, it's my dear friend, Mr. Jamie Morton, who's written this article, right? I'm afraid he will think I'm a terrible conspiracy theorist and a nut job because I don't go to bed every night and quake in, in my pyjamas that tomorrow the earth might end because of climate change. So I've got form for him as being a conspiracy theorist. But I might drop him a line and say, well, it's very interesting here, Mr. Morton, because you've identified that there are different variations on these vaccines. Which were the six million that were dumped? Because that's an obvious question for a journalist to ask. Yep. Oh, wow. I will do that, and I'll let you know. Goodness knows. I'll copy you on a list. What else is troubling you about the data? Anything else? Are you still yep. just beavering away um, on these? I mean, that was numbers? meant to be the quick and easy one before I launched into my OIAs around and the responses around the adverse events. Um, so you up to diving into that now? I'm just sitting here agog. <laughs> well, you know how we used to have safety reports around these COVID vaccines and they stopped yes. the last one published December 2022? Yes. Well, I thought to myself in August, there's been a lot of people protesting that we're, they're not publishing them anymore, and I thought, well, I'll just ask a set of OIA questions that will glean the important pieces that used to be on those reports because a lot of it, again, was just stuff that wasn't entirely relevant. 
and to the average person. You know, it's average, it's relevant on a societal level, like ethnicity of reports and things like that. But really, the guts of it is how many total reports have there been, how many have been reports of death, and how many have been serious. Mm -hmm. And MedSafe has some conditions that have to be satisfied for it you know there's they don't they don't get to sort of use complete judgment they have to about what's a serious report and what's non-serious they have a set of criteria and and then they also used to raise safety signals on these reports you know if there'd been a safety signal that needed to be investigated so a number of reports had come in for um, myocarditis, for example. So that was a safety signal that was raised. So I asked for this, uh, I think it was around the end of August. And it's been going backwards and forwards since then. Now, where do I even start? So, so they, so in answer to my question, what has been the total number of reports? they directed me to a line listing that had been placed in a place on the MedSafe website where it didn't used to be reported before and had been put there the day before I asked my request <laughs> coincidentally. And so when I opened that up. The day before um, or the day after? The day before. So they even played with the numbers. So when when so no so what just to explain what a line listing was the the previous safety reports had sort of a summary page, and that told you the number of deaths that have been reported. It told you um, how many reports of myocarditis had been. It told you how many serious reports. A whole lot of things. And at the very bottom of the summary page, you could click on a, a link that took you to an Excel file, which is the line listing. So it had oh, yes. all of the reports in a great big yep. long sort yep. of line with their coded MEDRA codes um, symptoms. So this new report that I was directed to um, after I asked the question for some updated um, material was not a summary page. It was just a line listing. Um, but in the explanation, it said it doesn't include deaths where death is the only reported reaction. So if somebody had, um, you know, been absolutely fine and then just suddenly died, their only reported reaction was death. Yes. So they don't, they had, they didn't include those. They didn't include any bivalent reports. And because it was just a great big long Excel file, I had no way of determining what was serious and what wasn't. So it in no way answered my question. <laughs> so, so I went back and I pointed that out. And they basically just reiterated the same thing again and said something, oh, they said this, MedSafe 
stands by its position and has nothing further to add. <laughs> so, so I came to a bit of a dead end there. But what I what I did then ask them is, what's the rationale? Um, <laughs> For not including reports, uh, not including reports where death was the only reported reaction, and <laughs> so there's there's four criteria for a to satisfy to be a valid report, and one. Let me see if I can remember them. You have to have reported a a, a reaction, one at least one reaction. The reporter has to have given some contact details. There has to be at least one identifying characteristic for the consumer or the patient that has had the reaction and contactable, at least one reaction, one identifying characteristic, and there's one other which is slipping my mind at the minute. Um, Sorry. Can't think, but one other. Anyway, so when I asked them, what's the rationale for not including reports where death is the only reported reaction, (laughs) they've said since death is an outcome but not a reaction, (laughs) these are considered invalid invalid reports. This is this is a clown world. So they've so, just semantics. They've decided death is an outcome. So I go in and I get a vaccine and I drop dead and they say, oh, <laughs> no reaction there, just an outcome. Yeah, but they are, they, they're not including them in the line listing. And um, but they are they have told because I've asked them, I've pushed them to answer these summary reports that summary sheets that we used to get. I said, Well, are those deaths included in those totals where you say total death on the the safety report summary page? They'll say X number of deaths. And I think we were up to were we up to about 184 or something had been yes. reported. Yes. So I said, well, okay, they might not be included in the line listing, those reports, but are they included in the totals? And they've said, yes, they are due to unprecedented pre- unprecedented interest um, with this product. Well, why is there unprecedented interest? It's because of all this secrecy and... Mm. And the fact that it is a novel product, yet we're not being communicated with properly. Um, so, you know, it almost sounded a wee bit exasperated when they said due to unprecedented interest. And I imagine they are getting exasperated with the number of people that are asking them questions. It must be extremely burdensome. But if they just answered them, it wouldn't yeah, be. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, these were weekly. Were they weekly reports or monthly reports? They start. They started out weekly, and then they sort of progressed over months to 
fortnightly and then monthly and then we didn't get some for three months and then they stopped altogether. And is it my understanding or was this an overseas thing in the UK where they said, oh, we're no longer publishing them because the information's being misunderstood? Well, what what they sort of said when they've been queried about why they stopped is they said that um, because the number of vaccinations had slowed, which it had by December of 22, it definitely had, um, then, because by then it was completely voluntary, right? Well, no, that's not quite right. There was still, you know, tertiary students that were going on placement to in the healthcare field that were being coerced and probably, and still healthcare workers being coerced. But apart from that unfortunate circumstance, the, the for the general public, there were no vaccine passes, there were no workplace mandates. So outside of healthcare, the coercion had fallen away and so the demand had fallen away. Mm-hmm. Um, people who were all on board to have, you know, two or three and were still getting COVID, multiple times, probably, you know, we're thinking, what's the point? So anyway, the demand had fallen away. So the adverse event reporting had fallen away, they said. And so then I said to them, well, that may well be true. However, there's still a small matter of a number of reports that were in a backlog that were never reported from the time where the vaccine was in high demand. And I know that because of this OIA that was um, the response that came out in May of 2023, I think it was, it may have been April, where there was a little table um, and the definition of a serious report is hospital, you know, death, hospitalised, a life-threatening, permanent disability, um, and so a number of different categories. So this table had all of these things, um, you know, in it. And if you added them all up, these all came to 13,851. Now, I don't know if you can add them all up because some of the categories may be a subset of some of the other more serious categories. Mm-hmm. But even if you can't add them all up. One of the numbers was 11,000 and something. So at the very least, there was 11,000 serious adverse event reports submitted by um, April, May of 2023, yet there'd only been 3,688 reported on at the end of December of 2022. Mm. So if the reports of the vaccinations and their subsequent adverse event reports had slowed to a trickle, they still need to address the outstanding that has um, that's connected with this backlog. And I've had a rather unsatisfactory answer. Just before we go there, Kathy, because I'm still mulling over this OIA, where you go in and you basically say, look, you used to publish all this stuff, you no longer do, but obviously you're still collecting the data. Here's an OIA with half a dozen high-level characteristics. Please, can you send that to me? 
and they do give you the information, but don't include deaths. <laughs> well, they give me the well, they don't they 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 gave me this big long file, so I could sort of calculate from that file that there were six. There had been sort of sixty four thousand something and some. I can't remember the exact number. Back in December of twenty twenty two, individual unique reports, and that had gone up to sixty five thousand and something when I calculated how many unique reports were in this big long Excel file. But I knew it because they told me it didn't include bivalent, mm-hmm. and I knew that it didn't include reports. We so let me just clear something up. It didn't include reports where death was the only reported yes. reaction. Yes. So somebody who said, look, you know, I've got chest pain, then I was diagnosed with myocarditis, and then they died, they would still be included in the line. Yes. But no, no, you would see their assessment number, their decade of life, their um, sex, and you would see that they had chest pain and myocarditis, but you would see no reference to death because that is removed. Supposedly, when I've asked them why, what's the rationale for removing any reference to death, they say for privacy. So the report is there, but you can't identify that that person has died. That doesn't make sense either, does it? No. No. It doesn't. They're avoiding the headline. Yeah, yeah. Because the deaths would be a headline, and they might be arguing, oh, well, it's not necessarily the vaccine. They could have just died from something else. And it's that headline they want to avoid. So they're sitting on the information. And then they call, if it's only death, they say, well, that's just an outcome, not an ad- adverse reaction. So we're don't not giving you that through semantics. This has all the hallmarks that you'd expect of a government department disguising a budget overrun, obfuscation, redefinition of terms, delay, delay, delay. But this is a government department obfuscating and delaying and putting up absurd propositions over a government-mandated medicine that has had adverse events that involve potentially getting extremely sick and dying, and they're bullshitting you and bullshitting us over a shocking outcome. They're probably thinking that we're too stupid to handle the information because they're saying, look, this doesn't prove that it was a vaccine. And we say, yeah, we get that. Mm. But we're big enough and bright enough to understand that. And you're going to deny us, the public of New Zealand, you're denying us this critical information. It's the most extraordinary shocking thing that a government department could ever do. It's like there was a Pike River explosion, but we're not going to tell you whether there are any men down there or not. Yeah. Well, this this I'm particularly interested in this 
backlog that hasn't been reported. Yes. Because when you go through the minutes of um, the Independent Safety Monitoring Board and there's also another OIA that sort of talks about some system problems that they've had along the way. And I think what's happened is sort of in there. So so if we go back to sort of like May and June of, of 2021, then the Independent Safety Monitoring Board is being told that, um, you know, we are seeing high rates of adverse event reporting in New Zealand, um, but we've got robust reporting systems. So that's probably why. And and they're saying, well, but the serious adverse events are low. Um, so, and then in July, um, a gentleman called Tim Hanlon attends the meeting and he's from an area of the Ministry of Health called Post-Event Monitoring. And he alerts them to the fact that their auto-triage of their system isn't working. And what the auto-triage is supposed to do is um, it uses sort of certain rules to sort serious adverse events um, that go for medical assessment by Michael Tatley, I think, who's the head of CALM, from the non-serious ones that get no further action. Mm -hmm. So they... In, in July of 2021, they find out that their auto triage isn't working. So they've been telling themselves, well, we've got lots of adverse event reports, but they're not they're not serious. They're, they're non-serious. But then they find out that their automated <laughs> triaging system didn't work. Now, they're still talking about auto triage problems um, in some memos and emails released under OIA in September of 2021. Um, and <laughs> at the same time, so 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 the, instead of having auto triage, they've got a team doing it manually. And they say we've we've raised a, a ticket to fix it, but it might not be worth pursuing. And we need to make a decision if we proceed with auto triage any further. And at the same time, they've discovered that they've got a problem when a report is submitted to CALM. If it's incomplete or if there's an error, it doesn't tell the person who's inputting the data that there's a problem. It lets them submit it. Now, that then got, doesn't go push through to COVID calm for them to have a look at. It goes into an error log. And around September of 2021, they discover that they haven't been getting the error logs. They're supposed to be alerts, and there were no alerts. So... So again, they put a manual process in place, but due to resourcing, they discussed the option of accepting the risk of these miss missing reports. So what does that mean? Does it mean that they will just not deal with them? 
So this is why it's really, really important that they tell us, you know, because they were having all of these problems. So we need to know how many total reports have there been, how many have been serious, and how many people have died. Because when they're they're talking about these incorrect or incomplete reports, they say these include a number of serious, e.g. death reports, and it's unclear how many there are. Wouldn't this be just drop everything and fix this? A manual process was put in place, but due to resourcing, the option of accepting the risk of these missing reports was raised. And to be fair to these people in CALM, I mean, all of the money that was used in the COVID era on communications and and all sorts of Kentucky Fried Chicken and whatever you could get, it all seemed to be focused on getting those needles into arms. I mean, I've not asked the question, but I've never seen anybody say that CALM was resourced to cope with the extraordinary number of mm. um, increase in volume that they had. So they used to get about 5,000 reports per annum for all medicines. Now, what we have been told is taking deaths out of the equation and taking the bivalent out of the equation, they had had by August of 2023, so what's that, 2021, 20, so two and a half years, that had 65,000 reports for one product alone. And their system can't handle it. And no one in the ministry or in politics cares because they're busily buying jabs and getting people to take them. And CALM's just working away as though it's getting 5,000 for all medicines and it's been it's been overwhelmed. Mm. And now... They don't want to release the information because on the face of it, it looks bad. There might be an explanation, but on the face of it, this looks really, really bad. Well, I started to sort of, you know, I mean, they do need to be called to account, but I I started to feel a little bit almost sorry for them in a a way. And so one of my questions um, was, you know, I do wonder whether CALM now moved to within MedSafe, I understand, has been adequate, because I've heard that they've kind of moved it up from out of Otago University into Wellington. Um, Has, I do wonder whether it's been adequately resourced to manage 240,000 line entries because even though there's 64,000 reports, even though every report will have, you know, multiple symptoms or most will, 
Um, I understand there's been an introduction of new IT systems too within this tumultuous time. Are you able to provide me with the org structure of CALM as it was and the org structure of whatever replacement structure now sits within MedSafe, if that is correct? And they took a very um, long time to detail, give me a detailed answer to that, which is CALM continues to exist independently of MedSafe. <laughs> That's the totality of their answer. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Cappy. Oh my goodness. This is the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Um at, <laughs> um. So, can you handle more? Well, I'm still, I'm still going. So, but it is gobsmacking, and I mean, it, it takes a little while for it to sink in. To be frank, like I'm still catching up on the first bombshell you dropped, and there's been a big one since, and now you're telling me there's a bit more. Yeah, well, but let's do it because you got us. You're a great tease. Oh my goodness! Please, let me see if I because I'm I'm I actually don't know who I am or what my name is at the moment either. Um, so with regards to the sim, um, the IT systems. Now I've got it here in my in my notes somewhere, and I don't want to have to talk off the top of my head on this piece. Um, ah, here we are. So, so in in answering my questions, like at some point they've they've also seems to have changed. They've changed the format, in that this assessment number started to be used. That was, or this number that was different to the ref to the like the number that used to be assigned to a report before like it used to be a e f i a and then six digits and they just sort of changed to this number that just started with 151 blah 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 so i asked a couple of questions around the changes and then, and then they 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 used to have these codes, you know, it might say gate disturbance, and then it would have a six-digit code. And and what I got back was um an answer that says, well, we're not doing this anymore because that used to be a feature of the database we used at that time. And and then something else, uh, when I said, well, why has this changed? They said, well, we don't use that in this database, but we're going to use it in our new database. It hasn't gone live yet. So I got really confused. And I said, so the words at that time infers that the old database isn't used any longer. The new database isn't live yet. So what database are you using? And... I got another extensive, well-prepared answer. Took All them a while, I bet. into CALM are held in a secure database. 
I interrupted you and talked over you when you were saying that. What was their answer? All reports sent to CALM are held in a secure database. So, so what they've told me all over the place in these OIAs is, well, we're not using our old database, but our new database hasn't gone live. So my question was, well, where's the data being stored then? And they said, in a secure database. But what database? They're not using their old one. They haven't got their new one gone live. So where is it all? A thinking human being sitting in an office cubicle has had a meeting and prepared that answer. And that answer would have been checked off before being sent out. And it's incoherent. These people have university degrees and aren't stupid. Um, it's quite possible, because I know a little bit about how this works, that hours and hours and hours and up to two dozen people were involved in preparing that answer. These are people who have been answering OIAs I had a lovely lady when I was a minister who used to help with question time in Parliament. And her job was to prepare possible questions. And I regarded myself as very excellent at this. And she prepared these possible questions that I could get asked. And they were devastating. Like, so good. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, no one's clever enough to answer these questions so well. Where did you learn this? And she said, oh, I started back when Roger Douglas was a minister. I said, oh, what, like in 1984? And she said, no, 1972. <laughs> <laughs> so there are people in these organisations who know what they're doing, and they have repeatedly and totally failed to answer your questions about the health and safety and deaths of Kiwis to government policy. These adverse events were beginning to be a thing that people were making a meal of they get evaporated when you ask for the data. Takes a while. They exclude death because that's not an adverse event; that's an outcome. Then they explain that <clears throat> there's all this data on serious adverse events that had been going to an error file, and they're busily running through trying to manually do the database. 
they transfer the crowd that are managing this database from Dunedin to Wellington, and you say, Cole, what's the organizational structure for and now? And what was the answer on that one? Farm continues to exist independently of MedSafe. <laughs> and then you say, I noticed that you've got rid of your old database and you've got a new database, but it's not yet live. So where is all the data on adverse events being held? And the answer is in a secure database. That could mean anything, right? Could mean Joe Biden's garage. <laughs> Yeah. For people that follow American politics, you do, so you laughed. Um, these people can't be trusted. Well, so it, so then, so this line listing that was posted in August, on August 28th, that didn't include any reports where death was the only reported reaction, um, and it doesn't include the bivalent. I did a bit of had a bit of a look at that, and I noticed that there were net three hundred and fifty five more reports in that one than there was in the December twenty two one that I'll call report forty six because that's its name. And but there were reports from Report 46. So there'd actually been 400 and something new reports, but they'd taken out 127 reports that were in Report 46. So they'd added 480, taken out 127 from the Report 46, and they weren't, so they didn't take them out of Report 46, but they weren't in this August 2023 line listing. So there were more reports net. So my first question is, why were these 127 uh, not included that were included before? Most of them, all but about seven, were from the very early days of the vaccine program, March, April, May 2021. So I wanted to find out were they duplicates, had there been an update made, and had the update been given an assessment number instead of referring to the original assessment number so that they merged it into the new number and got rid of the old numbers? Is that what happened? <laughs> And, and they've sort of said to me that um, usually an older number will be kept, which would make sense, right? The first mm -hmm. number should be kept if, if that happened. But then I also asked the question, what happens if an update is made to an existing report and in the update death is the only reported reaction? Is that report then removed from the line listing? 
So the answer to that question was where further information is provided, the case is updated and it depends um, on what the information is as to whether a report is included in the line listing or not. <laughs> so oh. I guess I'm inferring from that that because they can't they can't delete a report. They can only make it in, invalid. And the criteria for valid reports I've found one patient identifier, what the medicine is, so the reaction, and the reporter details. So so what could make a valid um a valid report invalid. It either has the information or it doesn't. Yeah, so that's what I said to them. So they're all early reports, so presumably they were valid because mm -hmm. if you hadn't sort of established after, you know, between... March, April, May of 2021 and December of 2022 that you didn't have all the information, well, you know, that wouldn't be very timely. So I still don't really know why that, why those 127 were not included, um, but I'd like to know because the information, the picture that I am building means I'd really like to know. Because particularly if with this, if death is the only reported reaction, um, we don't include it. So I want to know if if these people have have had a reaction and that reaction has been death in the update. What happens to their initial report? Does it go? Now the second strange thing was even though there were three hundred and fifty five more reports on a net basis in this August 2023 line listing. There were 13,000 less lines. So more reports, but less lines. So I've got some data that tells me what lines were taken out. And I sort of prepared a little file with about 20 or 30 of them just randomly. You know, it was this in Report 46, and now it's this. And I passed it under the nose of a clinician, and I said, can you just sort of have a look at this for me and tell me, you know, would you, would you do this with normal sort of housekeeping if you were just sort of tidying up your file and trying to make it not get too large, but still keeping its value as a pharmacovigilance tool. You know, i.e. this person reported all of these reactions, but they have a diagnosis of a condition. And so for them, in Report 46, they had about 16 different symptoms listed 
and and they also had their condition included in there. And in the August 23 listing, they only had their condition. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, is that reasonable? Because can you infer all these symptoms if you know that they've got this condition? Is that a reasonable thing to do? And this clinician that I asked sort of scanned down and said, yep, I suppose you could argue that that's a reasonable kind of data management. Yep, that one's, you could say, that one's not, that one's not reasonable. If you want to have a file that is a pharmacovigilance tool that's going to help you understand what might be going on with this medicine. So with the sort of 20 or 30 that I had, for the clinician to spot check, they definitely didn't say, yes, no, that all looks to me like a reasonable thing to do. It was, I definitely got mixed feedback. So to summarise where we're at, we have this adverse, adverse event reporting system. We had a massive jump in numbers and it was fixing up some backlog. That hasn't been explained. We had a weekly and then a monthly reporting system. Now we have nothing. When you ask for the data, they exclude they obfuscate, obfuscate, obfuscate. Then you send the, just a raw file with deaths excluded. And then you notice that they have removed some symptoms for conditions, some of which could arguably be justified, but lots couldn't clinically. We have an organisation that's changed its organisation, but when asked, they can't provide an organisational chart other than to say it's independent. We've had a medicine, so-called vaccine, that's been changed, but they can't tell us which bat numbers match to which variant of the vaccine. 18 million vaccines were bought and 6 million have been dumped. We don't know which variety of the vaccine was dumped. And every time a member of the public, oh, they've changed their database because they're... <laughs> Serious adverse events were being sent to an error file and not being picked up. Those were the ones that were supposed to be looked at. And so they were going through manually and trying to work out what was the serious effect because the algorithm's computer program had fallen over. So they're clearly hopeless at maintaining a database. They've changed their database because they had an old one and not fit for purpose. So they built a new one, but it's not yet live. And so you say, well, all these adverse events and people, what database are they on? 
are there in a secure database? They can't answer it. You could not present to us, Kathy, a worst example of total incompetence if you were, oh, I don't know, keeping an eye on paper clips at the Ministry of Business and Information. But this is people's lives. And no one cares. There's 120 MPs. There's all these journalists. No one's picking up on it. Well, we're at a very interesting point. You know, I apologise for using the term interesting because I, I absolutely, you know, that the the, oh, the tragedy of all of this for so many people weighs heavily on me. Um, so I, I don't think of it academic and interesting. Um, so I apologise for using that word, but because we've had we are in the midst of a change of government. I mean, perhaps you can talk us through what sort of happens with regards to official briefings and all of those sorts of things at this time. Yes, I can. So in many ways, it's a new broom. Every minister has changed. The Prime Minister has changed and the power balance in Parliament has been totally reversed. Those who are in power are no longer in power and a new group come in. The bureaucracy writes a briefing for the incoming Minister. I have a funny feeling they prepare too, depending on who will win the election, right? But they're prepared, and when you become a minister, this is what you get handed to, and you get a briefing. And it's an opportunity for the bureaucracy to clear the decks and own up and say, oh, we had a lot of this stuff going on, but, you know, previous minister. And they can also push their agenda, we recommend you do this, that, and the other thing, and they frame it in a way that National would like rather than Labour would like, but it's the same old stuff, they just frame it differently. And the Minister will have his or her staff that are on their side who'll be going through the stuff and say, here's something that they've slipped in here, Minister, that doesn't meet the smell test because they've sort of waved their hand over it. But if caught, they can point to it. Oh, yeah, we told you that six months ago in your briefing. So what I would do is write a letter to the minister, the new minister, and say, just you might want to know what's going on in your department. Now, the minister mightn't read it very closely, but his or her staff will, and they're on red alert then, because everything's about minimising a risk. And they have an opportunity to say, this isn't our problem, this was the previous minister's problem. 
and root it out and expose it. That's what they'd want to do. So I think it's a huge opportunity for you and for us and for New Zealand. Um, you mightn't be able to readily access that briefing to the minister. Sometimes they release them proactively, sometimes they don't. Um, they've got great ways of briefing a minister without making it official. They can do it in person, talking, and they can even put post notes on and rip them off and <laughs> destroy them, all sorts of stuff to avoid it. They're good at avoiding the official information at requests. Um, that's what happens. A new minister, just talking it through, will want to expose this so it doesn't become their problem and their cover-up. Because that's what it is, right? Well, see, the, the renewal of the provisional consent was interesting because Sue Gray did a Facebook Live. And I, it was, I think, the 27th of October. Was that a Friday? So the Friday sort of before. Yes. Yeah. So so the provisional consents for all of these products, the whole lot, you know, the bivalent, the original, <laughs> the Tris buffer product, the pediatric vaccine and the infant vaccine, all were renewed until the 3rd of November 2023. So there was this very weird Gazette notice, which I haven't really got to the bottom of what its intent was on the 27th of October, um, renewing the provisional consent to the 3rd of November 2023. But that's when it was renewed to in the Gazette notice that was made on the 28th of October. October 2021. So the conditions must have changed or the manufacturing locations that were permissible must have changed. Something must have changed because the date that the approval was extended out to was not changed. And so when that happened, I got quite excited because I thought this is Chris James because he's the one that has to renew the provisional consent saying, no, I won't do it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> because we're in a period where the Labour government's outgoing and the new government's coming in. And the 3rd of November was the day we were going to understand about the specials. So we were going to have a better idea of who our new government would be on the 3rd mm. of November. So it's interesting that those dates all lined up. Mm. Well... But, we had... but oh. so I thought, you know, good on him, great, <laughs> because he wouldn't want to be left holding the baby any more than he already is. When the new government comes in and the rest of them have scarpered and the new government can say, well, you renewed this for two years before we came in. So I, I got quite excited. But on the 2nd of November, late at night, it was renewed for a further two years. So there was another Gazette notice a week after the other one. So it has been renewed now. 
Okay, well, let's put a pause to your truth bombs. I feel flabbergasted by this, Kathy. I have got well used to government departments covering up and disguising and obfuscating. But over typical cock-ups, you know what I mean? Oh, we had a budget blowout or we were doing this project and it didn't quite work and something went wrong. I'm well used to that. Yes, Minister, to me, is a documentary, the TV comedy, and how a minister gets <clears throat> manipulated into a bad position by the bureaucracy, who are all powerful. But this scale of incompetence and obfuscation to do with death and illness is shattering. And the total lack of accountability back onto that reporting system and therefore back through on all the bureaucracy, all the politicians, and all the media is words fail me. And bar for you and a few other brave souls pulling into this stuff, they would have completely got away with it. You and I aren't saying at this stage, oh, this is a crime, this is terrible. We're just saying this is suspicious. This is obfuscation. This is incompetence. This is all these things. And it needs investigation. And there's a fine opportunity to do it now because we have a new minister shortly and a new government. This stuff needs to be swept up and cleaned up, not swept out. And they're actually getting away with it. So far, right? Bar for you. We've been talking to Kathy Jameson. She's a lot of fun, actually. I love her. But she presents a very sobering, very dark, and truly shocking analysis. And it's not her interpretation that we're relying on to reach that conclusion. That's the key thing. We're relying exactly on the words of the Ministry of Health and its officials and her answers to her. That's what's damning. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. 
You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Coming up, we have singer-writer Courtney Jane. What a talent. Listen to this. This is her song, Breathe. i 
check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to www.realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my goodness. I'm very excited because I've never interviewed a pop star before, and I'm about to, and it's sort of been a bit of a thing of mine to, you know, meet a pop star, and I'm, I'm meeting one. Wow. And I'm meeting one right at the start of her career. That song that you heard, listeners, as an intro, is called Breathe and was written by our guest and sung by our guest, Courtney Jane Smith. Good morning, Courtney. Courtney Hello. Jane, should I say both? Is it sort of like a hyphen thing? Uh, Courtney Jane, not the Smith part. <laughs> Sorry, not the Smith part. So, so if I was describing, oh, I just listened to this music on Spotify and it would be by Courtney Jane. Yes. Yeah. You have an amazing talent, may I say. Thank you. And I want to hear all about it. That's a beautiful song. I listen to your songs on YouTube because all my kids and my wife have Spotify and everything I tried to log in into our account wouldn't let me in. So I had to do the freebies. So I apologize for that. All right. The ones I got on YouTube, I couldn't believe that I would be talking to the person that could do that. Wow. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. Well, I mean that, Jen. I, I, I seriously mean that. And I'm sure listeners feel the same. And of course, um, having the talent is one thing, but succeeding in, in the business is another. But we'll talk about that. Is it rude to ask, Courtney Jane, how old you are? No, it's not rude at all. I'm 27 years young. <laughs> 27. Yeah. And you live where? I live in Christchurch. Okay. And tell me about your musical development. Did you start learning music early? Well, for me, at childhood, I was surrounded by music all throughout my childhood. So it was definitely in me. Um, but I was very, very insecure as a child and would not sing in front of anyone. I had this dream to do music but didn't have the courage to be able to do it. And then first year out of high school, a friend of mine paid for singing lessons out of the blue and I got the confidence as time went on. And I really wanted to write music, so I just started by writing lyrics. They would be maybe two lines or maybe a paragraph, and then they got bigger and bigger. And one day I just went to the creative director at the church that I was at, and I said, what do I do? And he Sorry, said, where did you go to? A uh, creative director, his name is Andre, from the church that I used to go to. Great, yes. And, and he said to go find a producer and just release a track. And... I just did it because <laughs> I guess in today's day and age, it's it's a lot easier than it used to be. Yeah, to of course. And stuff. So, yeah. Okay, um, let's go back to the beginning. When yeah. you say you grew up surrounded by music, in a funny way, we all do because yes. we listen to radios, we listen to in the old days records and CDs, and now we listen on Spotify and kids walk around with stuff plugged into their ears. You go and watch a movie or TV show, there's music. 
So yes. we're all surrounded by music, but were you surrounded in it by music in a different way? Yes, I was surrounded by people who played music. So my my dad was he's a huge uh, music lover, but also a bass player. And my brother is a drummer and a very talented drummer. My mum is a singer and my sister can sing as well. And I'd go to church and they would serve on the music team and so there's constant music around and actually witnessing people play it as well is a huge yes. thing. And being in communities where I'd see live music and it would evoke a reaction in me and an emotion in me. And then I realised it was very, very important to me from a very young age. And church music mm-hmm. is some of the most beautiful music. Mm-hmm. It can and really. S- <laughs> and some of the most beautiful words. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I went to Sunday school and I can still remember the singing. And it was extraordinarily powerful words. And I remember Delcy Benji's playing the organ. She was our Sunday school teacher. Mm. And great songs, great, great range. And, of course, a lot of pop stars have come out of church choirs. Yes, definitely, yes. Mariah Carey from the top of my head. (laughs) Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston, yes. Tell me, um, so you would be going to church, you're watching your mum sing in church, you're watching your dad play bass guitar, your brother drum. Mm-hmm. Would you sing along in church? I did. Yes, I did. Um, my family's church for a couple of years before I went to a majestic church. And then I joined the team and I was backing vocalists there for a bit. And then I ended up leading for a bit. So, yeah, I've been, I've been involved in the church as well. Yeah. But. You were scared of singing in public. I was. I was. So that but was. Could, that was uh, after you overcame the problem. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what was the basis of the fear? Was it the fear that people would laugh at you or wouldn't think mm-hmm. you're very good? Or is it was, an insecurity or a fear that you have generally? Or was it just to do with singing? It was to do with who I was as a person. I yeah. did not have any belief in who I was as a person in any way I didn't have any strength I would people please I'd go wherever I thought I had to go I didn't really know who I was or I had and when I was the first year out of high school I did bible college and the community there really built me up and I learned more about myself through my faith and everything like that so um yeah I just I couldn't see what was so good about me and so I just shrunk back and didn't share that part of myself with anyone but I guess I still sometimes if I'm feeling very very tired or very weak I'll start to fall into that again and then I'm like no 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 we're not that we're strong we're we're creative we're talented and I'm glad that I can catch it now and not just isn't it funny no one will believe this but I suffer the same thing. Mm. So I'm very scared of, um, I used to, I never spoke, never gave a speech. Wow. <laughs> um, and then went on to be a politician. 
the biggest thing I have in my life would be to, I'd never, ever, ever danced mm. in my life at a party. Okay. I know people would get drunk and then dance. I could never get that drunk and dance. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. I was just too scared. And I and what it was was, like you, but my big terror was people laughing at me. Mm -hmm. And I, I just mm -hmm. and I also didn't think I knew anything or had anything to offer. It, it's terrible. You hold mm -hmm. yourself back so much. And I'd listen to people and I'd think, oh, that's amazing. And oh my mm -hmm. goodness. And then as you get older, you, I did put myself into positions where I'd have to overcome yeah. these fears. And mm. um, I, I I still have it. If I had to give a speech tomorrow, I'd be very, very nervous. Yeah. Isn't that I, funny? And I've I, done it my whole life. Yeah, yeah. I understand that because it's definitely the fear of people laughing, but also the fear of what they're thinking was a big thing for me. Yes. And couldn't tell what they were thinking like how no. do you know what anyone's thinking but I would no. put words into their head based on how I felt the situation was going and that was detrimental to me I became a university lecturer and I realized that I had to for the first time in my life stand in front of people and speak <clears throat> I rushed out and got all the books in the library that I could on how to make speeches all right, none of which helped, but <laughs> one of them said a thing that changed it for me, and it was this. And I wonder if this works for singing. It certainly helped me when I had when I danced publicly. It was that, as it happens when you give a speech, people have turned up to hear you, mm -hmm. yeah, and therefore. It's the most selfish thing to be all shy and embarrassed and give a poor speech mm. because you're putting your fear of ridicule and embarrassment ahead of everyone else in the room. It's so true. <laughs> and so then I realized that these people are turning up, forget being embarrassed forget being shy forget all of that and give your utmost for their sake mm. and then i discovered a funny thing that even when you muck it up people love you more yeah yeah you know what i mean because mm. you're sort of a flawless delivery is oh yeah that was cool mm. it's something about someone making a mistake makes it human and how yeah. they react to it. Well, yeah. good for you for overcoming that. Mm, thank you. Because it's a bit paralyzing if you want to be a singer. Now, yeah. that song, Breathe, you wrote that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. <laughs> how did you write a song? Well, this song in particular came from a time when um, I was very anxious about a situation in life, which I, don't, I won't go into. Um, but I was sitting in the backyard of my parents' house and I was just looking at my family who were inside at the time. <clears throat> and I was overcome with this emotion of how much they were supporting me through this time and how much they loved me. And then those words 
I just need to breathe came out and I was like oh that's so true like if everything's going badly or everything's going very very well the only important thing for everyone is that we actually just breathe and just Mm. that's a huge step for the day is if you can just make it through it but in this generation we're told we need to be producing work we need to be living at this elite level all the time constantly working constantly producing but at the end of the day, if you can just get out of bed and breathe, you've you've won. That's a success. And from that that time, I could barely get out of bed. I didn't want to face anything. And the support of my family helped me realize that I didn't actually have to do more than I could handle at that time. And, yeah, I was just sitting out on the back lawn with my iPad, tinkering away on GarageBand and came up with the, the chords and then the words. and. Yeah, and when I went into the studio with Tim, my producer, he just made it into this quite eerie and flowy and breathy. That's not the right word, but a song that really breathes and really takes you on a journey of discovery of just living and breathing. (laughs) Yeah. You, at that time, were you anxious or depressed? Anxious, definitely. Mm. I felt sick to my stomach about the situation that was going on. Couldn't face it. There seems to be a lot of anxiety in young people nowadays. Mm. Yeah, a lot. Like, I don't want to tell you how old I am, but I'm, well, actually, you're 27, I'm 67, so I did it. (laughs) But I don't recall anxiety being a thing Mm. right Mm. do you think it's because of the internet and social media and phones because i find myself at one stage i i I looked at facebook a lot i got Mm. really anxious yeah yeah because i just scroll through and all my friends and people that i was following we're having such a cool time, right? Yes, true. And I was looking at their life and thinking, oh, man, that is so, look at me, loser, you know, capital L. And then every now and then you'd catch up with a friend. (laughs) (laughs) And their life wasn't quite what they'd put on Facebook, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It wasn't all sitting around at the beach drinking champagne. Yeah. You know, or going up the holiday resort. And so you realize that people only put the bright moments up on Facebook. Yeah. The highlight reel. Yes. The highlight. And then you're sitting there having a bad day and you're comparing yourself to their best moment. Yes. Which is carefully curated. Yeah. And that affected me, you know. 50, 60, it affected me. Mm. Imagine you're 14. Yeah, I can't imagine having social media that young. I didn't get it till my last year of high school. And even then, it wasn't as, I wouldn't say it wasn't as toxic as it is now. Like people were posting photos of flowers or a view that they saw. They weren't posting so many photos of themselves. Mm. As time went on, I realized I was deeply unsatisfied with my life because I'd be looking at what other people were doing. 
and that just was not healthy at all. And when you're growing up, you're your own worst critic. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're not pretty enough, you're not strong enough, you're not good enough, you're not good-looking mm-hmm. enough, and everyone around you seems amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And I imagine social media amplifies that anxiousness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It does. And also the fact of you know what's going on in the world that you you don't actually need to know about. Like my mum was saying that when she was growing up, she didn't know that someone was bitten by a crocodile in Florida. No. <laughs> and she didn't need to know that. It's not like taking or adding anything to her life, whereas like we're finding out about every little thing that happens and everything that could happen. And we know what someone's opinion is about us who lives on the other side of the world that we've never yes. talked to. And there's this anonymous um, commenting, you know, you feel braver behind a keyboard than you do face-to-face. Yes. Whenever I'm thinking about something, I'm like, okay, if I can't say this to that person's face, it should never be said. Yes. And the people have that kind of filter now. So you're getting everything. You're getting comments and people speaking into your life that you didn't give permission for, and that can cause a lot of anxiety. Yes. I'm very passionate and, about media. <laughs> and people doing things late at night. Oh yes, yeah, worse, worse, worst thing. I um, I never comment unless I put my full name. Mm. So I comment on some blogs, but I always make sure I put my full name. And I'm actually surprised because when I put my full name, I think twice about it, mm. and I dial it all back. Mm. That's so true. Thinking, <laughs> if I was anonymous, <laughs> you'd see my worst self, right? Yes, yes. but. It's my name, and I think, oh, no, I really don't. I might regret that. Um, <laughs> how many songs have you written? Oh, uh, do you mean written or released? Because it's released. Twitter. Released. Um, oh, uh, f- a lot. A lot. 12 and then 5 and then 6 and then 1. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Thank you. 24 songs we released 24 songs yeah yeah I've done the release every year since 2019 just because I can so when you're writing lyrics in your mind is that like poetry yes yes sometimes it's like poetry I'm just like as I'm typing it or writing it out it's coming out as words as poetry Sometimes it's coming out as a melody. So I hear the melody that I'd like to sing with it as it comes out, which is really cool. I enjoy that one more. (laughs) So the words are being written by you, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're hearing the music as you write the words. Yes, sometimes, yeah. Other times it's just like poetry, just just the words on their own. And then you've got to come with the music. Then I've got to make up music, yes. The, um, The words always come first for me. I found that. Um, I've got a lot to say. <laughs> so they tend to, the words come first and then the music is added afterwards to it. Well, there's not many people who do, like it's often a divided job, isn't it? Lyrics by so-and-so, music by someone else, but you do both. I do the start of the music. Um, I don't have... I'm gaining more and more knowledge on how to write music every year that passes. Mm. 
but I have not studied it. So I do need to go to a producer. So it is like lyrics and then half of the music is me and half yeah. of the music is someone else. <laughs> so did you study music? No, up? I didn't. That's one regret I have in my life is that I didn't even do music in high school. I didn't even take a music class in high school, and I do not know why. <laughs> Just so you it. can't read music? No, I can't. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's very different. It's very different um, with how you can do it because I there's an app on Apple that's called GarageBand, and they have, yes. like, every instrument you can think of and you can just play it on a keyboard style thing to get the sound so i know the basic chords on a keyboard so i can then just layer these different sounds and bring to my producer a demo laid out of the song of what i want to achieve and then together we sit there for a day and we just put ideas out there and we grow the song so uh, yeah if someone puts sheet music in front of me no idea i know it's music but i don't know what it is what it sounds like isn't that extraordinary? Because you think of all the kids, and I'm thinking of my kids, every week since they were six or five or seven in one case, they've gone off to music lessons. They can play the violin and read music. Mm-hmm. And they ha- they've done a little bit of music theory. You've done no music theory. No. <laughs> and yet my kids couldn't imagine coming up with original music (laughs) yeah i sometimes look back on it like i don't know what it was that drove me to find the producer i can't remember but i'm glad i did it every day i'm so glad that i've just been able to achieve something that high school me never thought i'd do always wanted to but never thought i would and so i've got to remember that even though on the outlook it's not, you know, I'm not getting thousands of streams. I don't have all these followers. But I've got to remember it started from nothing. <laughs> yes. It started from just an idea and a dream and a hope. And now it's actually turned out to be, this was my fifth project released a few weeks ago. Like, I've got to remember that that's amazing in itself. It's amazing. And um, it's beautiful music. Thank you. It's wonderful music. Now, um. When you were at school, did you have favourite subjects? Yes, I did. I was, I'm was i a very arty person, creative person, so it was painting, fabrics and photography. And those were the only subjects I did in my last year of high school. <laughs> Pretty great last year, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> so you, are, you have that creative side to you. Yes. And since high school, you went to a singing teacher correct after mm-hmm. high school mm. and what did the sing what is what does a singing teacher teach so i went to a singing school just one afternoon a week and they just taught me how to actually use my voice and how to actually project and um i did an artist development course with them which was over a few weeks where we just talked over um how to write music um and we did get into the studio to do one song. Um, what else did we do? And we did a photo shoot. <laughs> hmm. So I had a kind of an idea of what it would take. And was that at the Polytech or something like that? 
No, uh, it was a singing school that I'm not sure. I don't think they're called. They used to be called Nathan Phillip Vocals. Okay. Yeah, and they came out of Majestic Church. They were part of okay. Majestic Church. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking to 27-year-old Courtney Jane, musician, singer, composer, writer. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And, again, how many songs have you released? 24 songs. Man. <laughs> That's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, because I said, well, how many songs have you done? And you said released or written. You've got a few in the bag. I have about six A4 notebooks full of lyrics. <laughs> but some, it's like a personal diary. I don't want anyone to ever witness them <laughs> because some of them are very personal. And some of them are just getting my thoughts out. And I was told by a friend, if you got all these ideas, get them out. doesn't need to be tidy. Just get them out. So then you've got more room for more to flow in. And that was honestly some of the best advice I got. So I started to write down every idea, every song, every random lyric. And the more that I did that, the more the songs became whole. And I've got the songs that I've gotten out. I imagine that those notebooks are extremely personal to you. Extremely, yes. I don't. I don't want people reading through them. No, not even family and friends. No, no. <laughs> I mean, the later ones, the more recent ones, have the songs that I've released. So it's not. It's not like things I haven't heard, but yes. the older ones, definitely from my teenage brain. <laughs> Do you think? Uh, the artist like has to have a bit of struggle and part of that creativity is this what would you say not an easy life not an easy walk through life mm, I don't think anyone has an easy walk through life I just feel like creative people feel it more intensely mm. if I look at my life compared to some of my friends I'm walking the same journey but for some reason, my emotions seem to take me on a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah. Because you often feel when you're listening to music, I mean, it speaks to you mm. and it captures what you're feeling or what you have felt and resonates and moves you. But then you realize, oh, I never came up with that song. So this person is talented, but then the emotion is quite possibly deeper. Mm, yeah, that's the only thing I can think of, yeah. Have you got favourite artists? I have about eight favourite artists. <laughs> that I Who are they? With. So there's Michael Bublé. Yes. Corey Kelly, uh, the 1975 21 Pilots. Taylor Swift, BTS, Hazlitt, and Riley Clements. Okay. So huge range. We've got we've got Korean, we've got Western, we've got um, big band music, we've got more folk music, we've got Christian music. I'm all over the place, really. 
But that's a good thing, right? Because <laughs> mm, you're yeah. exploring. Tell us about Taylor Swift. What do you make of, I mean, she's amazing, right? Incredible. I For years I denied that I liked her because of all the drama that was going on. But honestly, at the end of the day, she's an incredibly talented songwriter and the stories that she tells, the um, the messages that she conveys and also the emotions she evokes within the music that she writes. Mm. It's just incredible, and I've seen a few of her concerts. I've never been to a concert in person, but I've seen them when they've been released on streaming platforms, and the kind of theatrics that she brings to the stage. It's incredible. So Incredible. Um, and she's been going a long time. Yeah, I think she said 17 years. Yeah. Music. <laughs> yeah, it's right. a long time. I mean, like, people come and go. Yes. And you sort of capture the, some sort of mood and you do well. Mm. And then you, that's it, right? Mm. Like Elton John's another one who just keeps going <laughs> and produced songs for a long, long time. Like Bob Dylan produced songs for a long, long, long time. Mm. Uh, the Rolling Stones. But most musicians have a period and yeah. then they get old. But Tyler, T- Taylor Swift just... Keeps going. going. Yeah. And I, that's, all, that's really cool because a lot of people only see value in the music and creative industries when people are young. So they're getting in yes. younger, 17, even 16 year olds. I know in the Korean industry, they've got 14 year olds that are starting to debut. And, and it's just, you don't even know yourself at that age. No. Like that's such a big thing to put yourself through when you're that young. And so it's really inspiring to a lot of people that she can still make it in her 30s yes. even yes. and still keep going really strong. But, I mean, I find that encouraging because I'm 27, so I'm on my way there. <laughs> yeah. Michael Jackson, I never used to because I was older when he was, you know, like I, I was past. I, I can't remember. I didn't, I didn't like Pop Jackson, but, uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson. But now... I think he's amazing. Mm, mm. His dancing, his choreography, his singing, his music. Oh, my goodness. What yeah. a talent. What yeah. an extraordinary talent he yeah. had. Mm. And I watched that Netflix show where he put, he was helping the dancers dance. Mm. I mean, he was the whole package. Yeah, he definitely was. How much does your Christian view of everything play into your music um it's not worship music like you'd hear in church but because my life is centered around my faith it definitely shows through mm. i think so but everyone's different <laughs> um it's a big part because i believe that he's that i've got a gift and you have and that i need to use it and i need to bring the message that he's given me to the world. And it kind of takes it off my shoulders as my responsibility to make happen yes. and do what I know to do. Yes. So it's, there'll be some times where I get quite stressed about, oh, how do I make it big or how do I get my name out there? And nothing comes. I don't have any strategies. I don't know what to do. But I can just enjoy this time of writing and releasing in my own in yes. my own and kind of let him do the rest. <laughs> I think that's a great strategy, and I've got a funny feeling it will come. Mm, thank you. And, of course, we know that there is this 
strange thing that you can be extremely talented but not catch the wave. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, you write a song, you sing it, you take it to your producer, you produce it, and then where do you put it? So you can go online and find just distribution websites that you can sign up for and you just upload the track and the album art and a little description about it. And then they send it out to all the streaming platforms, to YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes. You can select specific ones or all of them. I just do all of them. And they on the release date that you choose, they will be there ready to go. And that's it. And you've also got to sign up for like copyrights and stuff like that. So with the New Zealand, it's um, APRA and Recorded Music New Zealand need to um, log that song into that. So then you can get all royalties and copyrights and stuff like mm. that and share the copyrights and royalties with whoever else is part of that. You're familiar, I would think, with rich men north of Richmond. No? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're going to have to do this. So there was a singer. I'm trying to think of his name. It'll come to me. I have to Google it now. You've got me onto it. (laughs) And he was some – he'd been a a worker in a foundry or a factory or something, and um, he had a guitar. And he would sing. And he, Oliver Anthony, you're going to have to Google this now. (laughs) And he sang the song about how, what it was like to be a working man Mm. in the Appalachian Mountains and be neglected by the political class because... Mm. They are the rich men north of Richmond who are looking after each other and the politicians, and they don't understand him. And he put it up on YouTube or whatever, like what you do. He filmed it with his phone propped up, you know, on a tree stump sort of thing out in the bush. Oh, my goodness. When you hear it, I think you'll love it. Mm. But some famous people like Joe Rogan, Matt Walsh, famous conservatives loved it. Mm. And they just went on Twitter and said, oh, you've got to hear this song, right? <laughs> and within like 48 hours, it was the number one. He knocked Taylor Swift off. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he just caught it, right? Because the mood was there in that song. And it's him, and he's got a big bushy beard, and he just looks the part. And like, for a while, I wondered if it was the cleverest thing that I'd ever seen, and that something like Sony Music or, you know, the Disney Channel or something had carefully crafted this guy and spent years coming up with the song. But it was exactly what it is. It's just this guy yeah. playing to his cell phone. Mm. And it took off because people who have millions of followers, Elon Musk tweeted it and said, you got to listen to this, <laughs> right? And I don't know, he has 100 million people, right? And yeah. so it went nuts. Mm. And, of course, this is what can happen now. Yeah. Yeah. One person can change someone else's life. It's really yes. incredible. 
And that's what we need to do with you because your music <laughs> is beautiful and it spoke to me, which is, and moved me, which is what you want music to do, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you have a strategy or you're just concentrating on producing music and putting it up? Um, yeah, no, I don't have a strategy. I right. don't because what I see within the music industry is not what I'm willing to do. I'm no, not willing no. to um, sing about things I'm, that aren't happening to me. I'm not willing to, sorry for my language, get half naked to no. sell. Well, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to sell myself. <laughs> I, I want to produce good music that when people hear it, they they are brought something that's new and maybe they feel less alone or they actually are able to understand the thoughts going on inside their head. They're like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's why I'm thinking that. That's why I'm feeling that. And I don't want to produce anything that's not of quality. Mm. And I'm blessed right now with the ability to be able to be in control of that. Like when I released my 2021 album, I didn't do any singles. I just released the whole thing as one big work. But in the industry, you'd have to release one single and then another one and then yes. release the work. But I wanted everyone to hear the work from start to finish because it had a story flow with it. And I was able to do that. I'm able to release how I want, when I want, no stress. And so, yeah, I don't really have a strategy right now. When ideas come forward or opportunities like this, I'll take them. Mm. Until then, I'm just going to enjoy the fact that I, I'm in control right now. <laughs> we, um, do you play concerts or in pubs or anything like that? No, no, I haven't done that. I haven't done that kind of gig until I opened for the Liberator Band two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Oh, wow. That's the first time I've done something like that, and that was really fun. I just did half an hour, sung six songs, and then – Enjoyed the rest of the night listening to them. So, was it yeah. scary? No, it was really fun. Uh, it was kind of scary at first because I haven't sung in front of anyone for about two years. Um, but in 2020, I put on a concert um, for my friends and family, like a full-on concert. It was a live band. We had merch. Um, we had videos. We had lighting, everything like that, sound guy. And I did that as a pre-release for my first EP. Um so I've done performances before, and I want to do another one where I just put on a concert, but I don't know when yet. We'll see what happens. Good for yeah. And we're going to end with a song, which I haven't heard, so I'll hear it when <laughs> listeners hear it. And it's called um, Contentment. What is it? It's Content. Tell me what it's called. For Contentment. For Contentment, but the... Mint has brackets okay. around it. Yes. Tell me what's the significance of for content bracket mint? Well, I realize that a lot of people live their life for online content, not contentment. So I found that I would see ah. people going to beautiful places simply to be able to say that they've been there. There was a period of time where I thought people were having babies simply because they could post about it. <laughs> it was just like, people seem to post everything about their lives and and I just realized that whenever I would try and do that I wouldn't be content 
they would yeah so i the statement was for the song i want to live to be content not for content and that's what birthed this whole song about the phone and how the thing in my hand becomes my friend and my enemy and how how unhappy i am when i spend too much time on that and how i actually want to live for contentment not for online content so that's what birthed this song and that's been the journey this year of trying to find that <laughs> because in the modern world, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you see it particularly with young people. You can't get off that if, And if you just live for yourself, right, like there is no belief in a higher power mm-hmm. or a higher purpose or a better purpose, it's all just what makes you have fun. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinarily empty for them. Mm. Yeah. Whereas in the past, you'd have a belief system in your country. Mm. You may well have been brainwashed into that, to use the phrase, and brainwashed into a belief in God, mm. and brainwashed into getting married and getting a job and getting on with life. But <clears throat> you were busy, and there was this contentment. In there, but Perfect. you look, you're looking with young people when they f- don't quite know what to do or where to go or mm. what their life is about. They online. seem lost. Mm. Yeah, Whereas um, a man would have a mortgage at 21 and that was it. You know, mm. get on with it, get on mm. with your life, man. Yeah, this is it. You've got kids to look after. Yeah. Um, well, what a beautiful song. And how do we, people who are listening who like your music, they can use their Spotify account and Mm -hmm. they can search Courtney Jane and your 24, 20, how many? 24 songs. 24 songs, is it? Is it? Where'd you get to? Songs will come up and they can play them. Mm -hmm. So I heartily recommend that we do that. And Courtney Jane, when you're rich and famous and traveling the world and you concert, you remember us? Of course. <laughs> Won't that I, be cool? I love the encouragement. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, I look, I didn't expect to enjoy your music. People don't. They get pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I thought, oh, here we go. You know, some Kiwi singer. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man, I started listening. Oh, and I loved it. And I don't listen to a lot of music. It's not my thing. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it. And then I got so excited about talking with you. And your parents must be very proud of you. Mm, They are. They're my biggest fans. They're my promotional crew. We'll just be standing there talking to someone. Like, is my daughter some songwriter? Of course. I was one time I was at an appointment for a shoulder when I dislocated it. And the guy's like, so what do you do? And I thought he meant... Like, well, he said, yeah, I thought he meant, you know, what's your job and how did you injure your arm? Because I did it at my job. And mom's like, she's also a singer-songwriter. Ah! <laughs> ah, don't you love it? Yeah, it's good. I'm used to it now. Nothing I can what do, do you do for a job? Um, Well, right now I'm actually an, it's called an indoor plants technician. So I just look after indoor plants at people's businesses all day. Oh, great. Yeah, That's a great. great business. Great. Yeah. Very relaxed. Very Have chill. you got green fingers? I'm getting there. 
we're getting there. I was um I didn't have any qualification going into it, but I'm a plant mum of fourteen, so I've got the passion for it. Right. So I'm getting better at it. Good but out, outdoor gardens, no, no idea. <laughs> I'll make a start. Um, and are you, do you have any plans to learn to read music? Um, I'm gonna pick up the flute again because I want to put it in some of my music. So I used to play the flute for nine and ten at yes. high school, middle school. And, yes, I learned a little bit, I believe, then, but I've forgotten it all. So I have to pick it up again and just try and learn it again. I wonder. I could imagine that you learn all the rules of music theory or something, and I wonder if it would become inhibiting. Does that make sense? Because, mm. oh, no, there's a rule. Oh, what's the rule? Yeah. Whereas you just let it flow, like it's coming through you. Yeah, it's... that's true, because my friend did the same thing with fashion. She just loved to design and make things, but she, her friend went to the course and did fashion school, but doesn't do it anymore because of all the rules. She just can't yeah. get outside the rules. So, yeah. I had a theory when I was younger that there are all these things that I would like to learn about and I made it a rule never to study them at university mm-hmm. because I found whatever I studied at university, I got sick to the back teeth of, and it all became about exams and the rigidity and breaking it down and then this and then that and then this. And, like, for example, I love English literature. You know, mm-hmm. I love the classics. Dickens, Bronte, Sisters, I just think they're the most wonderful, wonderful books. But I can imagine listening to some old professor waddle on about them who would destroy them, Yeah, right, because they'd desiccate them and, oh, this, he did that. No, they just wrote a great book, right? It's fun. Interpretation is yeah, and you yeah. can imagine some second rater telling you all about a piece of music, and you think, mm. No, it's just mm-hmm. music, right? It's just beautiful, just leave it be, yeah, don't rip it to bits and put it back together. I don't know, so maybe you just keep doing what you're doing because it works. It's it's true about the with music, there's just no limits, you can hear anything on the internet. Sometimes it's not the greatest, but sometimes it's good. and People have different opinions and different likes when it comes to music. So there's just, I love it. It's just so broad. There's no, there shouldn't be any rules with it. Just go for it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, Courtney Jane, there's the name. You heard it here first on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're going to play Courtney Jane's, it's called, ah, for contentment. And it's a wonderful thought, right? the difference between having a life full of content and having a life of contentment. Courtney Jane Smith, 27 years old, singer, composer, musician, flautist, we're going to say now. (laughs) Good luck. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your talent with us today and with the world. Thank you for having me on. It's been fun. Yeah. There you go. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. That was Courtney Jane. Courtney Jane Smith. What a wonderful woman. Oh, my goodness. So wise. So amazing. But I guess that's what happens if you 
think about things and have that creative energy in you. It's sort of like the Brontes writing a powerful novel, isn't it? That you dig deep inside yourself and the world around you, and then you produce something, not like the rest of us just sailing along the surface. They go deeper, deeper into the feelings, deeper into what's going on. Well, here you go. Courtney J singing for contentment, which she wrote and what she thinks. Tell me, what do you think of that? Send me a text, 2057, there you go, and email me at inbox at radleycheck.radio. We're truly blessed.
Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing, and the app is now live. You can visit the app stores direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything. From listening to our live broadcast, downloading some of our incredible interviews, and checking out the latest blogs, all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying this case of Sussie Wiles versus the University of Auckland, her employer. Of course, Sussie Wiles was the one all over the media, uh, one of the leaders of the so-called science for COVID-19, TV, print, radio telling us to lock down, jab up, mandate, you know, you name it. Of course, it was more politics than science. And, of course, also highly contentious. Many, many distinguished people were disagreeing with her. But nonetheless, Susie Wiles persevered, and it turns out that she got some threatening texts and emails and so on. Now, it's her contention that the University of Auckland should have kept her safe. Of course, nothing happened to hurt her other than, you know, nasty emails as far as I could tell from the case. And she wasn't actually doing what the University of Auckland wanted her to do. She was sort of off doing it on her own bat. And in fact, the university suggested she pull back a bit. But no, she pushed on ahead and said the university must protect you. It's sort of like, I don't know, me going skydiving and expecting RCR to keep me safe. I mean, it's not part of my RCR description of being a host here to go skydiving. Same as Saucy. By the way, I don't mind who wins this case because I think University of Auckland and Saucy Wells are sort of on a par in my hierarchy of things that I like. So I quite like it that it's these two wokesters having a crack at each other. But we sort of hit peak woke this week because one of the witnesses appearing for Susie Wiles was a Tina Nata. Now, Tina Nata came in and she said that Susie Wiles was fulfilling the university's obligations under the Treaty of Waitangi and helping to prevent the spread of misinformation through the Maori community. Wow. <laughs> this misinformation is in the eye of the beholder on this case, right? But where on earth does it say under the treaty that a university has an obligation to prevent the spread of misinformation? And more particularly, where does it say in the treaty that someone working at the university has an obligation to spread the to, to prevent the spread of misinformation amongst the Maori community? <clears throat> no such obligation is placed on anyone to do such a thing. 
least of all by the treaty. But isn't this the sort of madness that we've got to now? That you have this so-called expert who spent months and months and months advocating for severe tyrannical policies and calling them the science when there was nothing scientific about any of it, actually. Even the sciencey bits weren't science, let alone the policy prescriptions. Because science can never tell you as a politician what to do. You can't go from this is to this ought. You can't go from is to ought, as they say. So science can't give you the policy prescription. Only politics can, the trade-offs. Decisions have to be made. But even on the sciencey stuff, Sussy was a bit, well, suspect, because she couldn't know that this jab was safe and effective. No one could. And, of course, we now found out that it's neither safe nor effective. So what about the science there? And what about the spread of misinformation? When you're saying things are safe and effective when you don't actually have the data saying that. There's no science underpinning that. None whatsoever. Oh, yeah, the jab never leaves your arm, I remember her saying. So that's all bad enough. But you go out there and say that stuff, do politics on TV, and suddenly the university has to keep you safe from whom? Are people sending you rude texts and rude emails? Well, I can understand people being terribly upset because they were having their businesses and their family life destroyed by these policies over and over and over again. Imagine how upset people have been. I know I have upset. I have been. And then the sick and the injured and the dead, they have good cause to be upset. But how is it that it's the University of Auckland's responsibility to keep this lady safe? It's not part of her job description to go on TV and spout fanciful nonsense. And it certainly isn't an obligation that she has to go out there and spout this stuff. And that's why I'm enjoying it, because it's sort of this madness piled on madness, piled on madness. And nowhere is there an element of individual responsibility, like to get the facts right before you speak, to say what you know and what you don't, to take responsibility for what you say in public, to provide protection for yourself rather than put an obligation on your employer. And it's the same with the treaty. The treaty is actually all about individual responsibility. The Crown would keep you safe, but what you did with the space it created was up to you. There's no obligation upon the Crown other than to keep you safe protect you from others. You go out there, make a noise, make a sound, 
there's going to be consequences, of course. Of course. Anyone committing violence against Dr. Wiles should be punished, caught and punished. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about keeping her safe from what? Harassment? Can't understand it. The treaty? Can't understand it. The obligation to an employer because you spoke out? Can't understand it. She wasn't doing her job. The treaty says none of these things. That's why I'm enjoying it so much, because it's nonsense piled upon nonsense piled upon nonsense. I hope it's just another sign that we meet peak woke and we're going to come on the other side because more and more people can see this is nonsense. That's real talk from Rodney Hyde, Radley Check Radio. Send me a text 2057, email me, inbox at radleycheck.radio and keep enjoying the show, the show that we provide and the show that University of Auckland and Susie Wiles are providing. Oh, my goodness. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Oh, here we go. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and it's mailbag. Thank you so much for all your feedback. Here's one from Doug. Hello, Rodney. My name is Doug. Says where he's from. In the last two years, I've become involved in a 20-year horror story that has ended abuse from the Child Protection Agency, Orangi Tamariki. Probably not a surprise. However, the case uh, staggering and involves names. I won't say the names. I'm impressed with your style and humanity as a journo. Please call for a chat. Doug, look, I can't fix it on the on a radio show. My suggestion is, and I know this may not. Uh, sound the best, but go and trouble your MP. They can actually sort it. Um, I spend a lot of time on those things with um, constituents, so please do that. Uh, Alwyn. Hi, Rodney. Love listening, but I was upset hearing of Ali Evans, what she'd been through at the hand of Paula Penfield. I thought it best to send information to you. Um, And it was an article and it was about how Paula's she was angry because her older sister had very bad cancer and didn't handle well. Maybe we got caught up in her anger. Maybe. Uh, from Peter, thanks for the interview with Ali Evans. A great reveal of how paying the media by an incumbent government subject to conditions of compliance is a sin never to be repeated by any outfit with integrity. Indeed. Here's one from Chris. I've been listening to the Roger Beattie interview. I'm a shareholder of Farmlands or its predecessor since 1974. I'm horrified about this discussion and what is going on. This is about the rebates where suppliers have to pay Farmlands to sell your goods. I went to the Farmlands website and BD insulators are not available at all at Farmlands but are at PG Wrightson's. Under the current CEO, Farmlands has lost its way and are not now there to supply its shareholders, but she has the idea need to look after small block holders and horsey women. It disgusts me where this once great idea of supplying farmers with great products cheaper than the opposition to the self-entitled. Here we go, someone else. We pay a rebate to PM, Mitre 10, ITM, our placemakers, Mitre 10, ITM. 
I've always been of the belief that it's used to run the head offices, which are there to promote products. I personally don't have a problem with rebates. It has grown our business over the years and opened up opportunities that otherwise wouldn't. That's from Roger. He's in the timber business. So he pays rebates to placemakers, ITM, and Mitre 10, and says he's happy to do it because it promotes his products. Hmm. I wonder if they're transparent about that, though, that you're paying placemakers to promote your product. It's an odd thing to me. Hi, Rodney. Enjoyed your chat with Roger. What an absolute crop this thing is. <laughs> so it's a different view of people trying to make a go of it. We really need to cut the heat of this alike management system and inflicts its BS on us. Bring on the revolution, I say. Cheers, Steve. Oh, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? There's one guy saying, well, I do it, and it's to help advertise my goods. And here's another guy that sees it as thieving. But I, I'm with the thieving guy because it's not transparent to me. And if you don't pay the rebate, we won't supply your goods to our customers. That should be up front. Hello, Rodney. Here is the Jewish trauma therapist, Gabor Mate, Holocaust survivor. Maybe interview him. And it's some YouTube clips. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Rodney, for your talk just now on the vaccine dead and injured. Today is the two-year anniversary of my sister's death. Oh, I'm so sorry. Two years already. Oh, dear. Cass was a teacher and was mandated, mandated out of her job and her life. Cass and her three friends and colleagues were killed in a horrific head-on car crash travelling home from Wellington to New Plymouth. After attending the anti-mandate protest march to Parliament on the 9th of November 2021, Cass, Tracy, Richard and Jock, four, all died because of the mandates and because of the government, including everyone in Parliament, who went along with the mandates. Thank you, Rodney, for everything you're doing on RC. CR, keep up the good work. Two years. Yes. Tracy, Richard, and Jock lost their lives driving back from the protesters. I'm so sorry for your loss, and I'm sure I join everyone listening and sending you our best wishes on this terrible remembrance. Hi again, Rodney. Yesterday I listened to your sharing feedback from listeners about your interview with Dane Giroux. I didn't hear from you about my feedback sent on the 2nd of November. Perhaps it arrived too late, but more likely there was simply too much pushback for you to deal with it in such a short time. I have some additional comments. Firstly, let me say that the need for a radio host to be controversial at times to promote healthy debate is not lost on me. That's not what we witnessed. I choose to support RCR because it stands for freedom freedom from the kind of top-down control that we've all been subject to over the COVID years. I really thought that like you, like the other hosts, we would know what that looked like. I was wrong. From your response yesterday, it's clear to me that you have publicly expressed an opinion which you now feel compelled to defend, namely your 100% support for the State of Israel as a democracy surrounded by tyranny. Let's examine in detail just what it is you're supporting. Mr. Netanyahu has been Prime Minister for most of the last three decades. How did he do that? by making alliances with political parties with ideology so extreme that they'll never support a Palestinian state. The result, a stronger Hamas, divide and rule. 
expanded U.S. settlements in the illegally occupied West Bank. How about his attempts to make the judiciary answerable to his government instead of the other way around? Hundreds of thousands of Israeli citizens have taken to the streets in protest of this, but it may be news to you, I don't know. And then it turns out that the Israeli citizens are about the most jabbed on the planet. Didn't you have a bit of a problem with those jabs yourself? Does Israel sound like somewhere you are ready to move to? You and your guest criticism of John Minter really topped it off for me. He called Israel a colonial power in the modern age. How dare he? Hasn't he forgotten that New Zealand was also a colonial power? Perhaps he should go back to England or wherever his ancestors came from. That'll teach him. I'm just reading here. So let's compare the two countries. New Zealand has a founding document. While not perfect, it does guarantee equal rights and opportunities for all citizens. Israel's founding document came from the barrel of a gun at the expense of 750,000 Palestinians who had to flee. It's their fault, you'll say, that they still don't have a homeland 75 years later. They've rejected every peace deal offered to them. The fact is that there's never been an offer, which includes the right of refugees to return to their stolen land. Perhaps like you just conveniently ignore or distort the simple fact and it upsets the hell out of me. You're not fit to be a host of RCR and it troubles me that some of my donation is paying your wages. Oh, don't, I don't think so. Fortunately, there are still good hosts on RCR for the most part. I hope that one day you can get to travel to the region. I suggest you find a family living in the Israel-occupied West Bank. They will likely have a couple of sons detained in Israeli prisons without charge. They may even be rebuilding a home that was recently bulldozed. And you'll be able to look them in the eye and tell them you understand what living tyranny looks like under Jack Jacinda. You and your family couldn't go to the public swimming pools because you didn't have a vaccine pass, Mike. Well, I read it all out, Mike. And um, I'm not trying to push my view, I hope. But I was trying to be clear about where my bias is. And I do. I support Western open societies, even though they're not perfect, over tyrannical violent societies. And you and I would debate that forever. But I'm happy for you to come on and share with me and to read your notes but better to keep them shorter. Hi, Rodney. I was listening this morning and obviously have left you confused. I live on a farm near the Grampians in Victoria. I'm 73 years old and retired. I've followed excess death closely and cemeteries are a good place to find these. I have my hands full here in Australia, but someone in New Zealand may have the time and the inclination to look at Auckland deaths. What I'm saying to you is that a very quick glance at deaths with the name baby in title was always around three a year. 2018, this increased by 10 times on the average, and this has just kept going. Wow. It would appear on the surface that many more babies have died in gestation from 2018 onwards. It is possible for someone with proficient Excel skills to download yearly figures of all deaths and compare them. I'm thinking that will be like Brisbane. Frightening. I wouldn't be saying anything to the public at this stage. The council will more than likely restrict the amount of information. Oops, here's me talking about it. The other aspect of informing the public is it could create a lot of hurt. Better to get full facts and present it. Maybe nothing, but I very much doubt this. Well, there you go. Baby deaths. Looking at it. Thank you for that. I don't want to read more because you suggested to me not to read it out too much publicly. Someone should look at that if you're keen and got the skills, Excel skills. Hi, I'm contacting you to inform you of a terrible event which has been unfolding the West Coast over quite some time. On Monday, the Police and Animal Health Board 
or converge on my friend's property to destroy all his farm animals in an attempt yet again to drive him off his land and deprive him of any income. Huh. The land is earmarked for Natahu and is in the throes of being stolen by our own very government. I realize this is a contentious issue, but it's wrong and immoral. We must speak up. Well, thank you for speaking up. And we read it out. And honestly, I don't know what to do about it. Um, but I do read my messages. So thank you for that, Terry. Mailbag. Tough today. Contentious. Orangi, Tamariki, Israel, Palestine, government potentially operating out of control. How to fix it all. Just a radio host. Tough even when I was an MP. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending in your comments and questions and criticisms. You can send them to me inbox at Reality Check Radio. Or, do you know, I've just forgotten the text number, but I'm sure I've said it so often that you'll know. 2057. It's my text number. I felt moved by those criticisms today, particularly the Middle East. And I don't know enough. I truly, truly don't. And I don't have a closed mind. I truly don't. But I'd like to be upfront. Thank you for listening. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. What a show we've had. Kathy Jamieson, you know, if it was a professional-run operation, all the information that she is seeking from the government would be instantly and immediately to hand. Particularly when you think that the promise for the jab was so big and the penalties on people for not taking oftentimes so severe, then it's a responsibility of government to be, quote, open and transparent. And what we're discovering is they are anything but. And you've got to say, is it just incompetence? And if it's incompetence, that's a worry? Or is it deliberate obfuscation? And that too is a worry. Suspicions thrive when you can't have openness and transparency and therefore accountability to our elected officials. We talked to Courtney Jane and listened to her music. Oh my goodness, I do love it. And that says something for me because, you know, I'm sort of rooted in the 60s music. She's wonderful. And what a wonderful person and human being. It gives you such hope for the future, does it not? Remember, please send me a text, 2057. Email me at inboxradleycheck.radio. And coming up, we have Jerry Pives, Real People. It's going to be a good show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for sharing your time, listening to me and our guests and building a community. Talk soon. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio.